Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast. My name is Joey Schultz and I am joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he's not even a little bit sorry to see that Teferi and Wilderness Reclamation were finally banned in standard. It's Matt Morgan. Well, Joey, actually, with the recent banning of Teferi Time Raveler, Agent of Treachery, Wilderness Reclamation, and Co., um, I'm officially starting a petition to change it from the banned and restricted list to the bant and restricted list. (laughs) (laughs) Matt... That is that is beautiful. That is wonderful. And it leads into my next introduction, actually, because our next uh, co-host here, he's fixing to make a commander deck made purely out of cards that have been banned in standard formats. That's Dana Roach. Uh, today, my son told me my beard makes me look like a wizard. Um, but because I wear glasses, I'm probably a wizard who isn't good enough at magic to fix my own eyes. <gasps> so I think things are going pretty good around here with my family. Dang, that is one of the most <laughs> savage reads I've ever heard. Well, the thing like was, he didn't mean it to be mean. He just like, as an offhanded way, he's like, look like a wizard. But I, I would guess you're probably not very good at magic because you can't fix your eyes. Or you just, <laughs> you, you need help aiming your lightning bolts. Maybe that could be. If you're too That's, close, he's just going to miss completely. I, I, maybe, you know what? Maybe he should be on the podcast, Dana. Who's just going to throw that out there. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Hey, fellas, what are we discussing on this week's episode? This week, we're going to talk about the commanders that people stopped building, commanders that started off pretty popular, but then they happen to just go down in popularity, and we're going to take a look into why that might have happened. Indeed, but before we do that, we have to give a huge thank you to Josh Lequai and the folks at the Command Zone podcast who do all of the post-production work for our podcast and make it look as spiffy and nifty as it does. It's awesome work, and of course, we want to thank our sponsors for the show, too. Yes, uh, thank you to Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Uh, Playing during a pandemic comes with a lot of challenges, just one of which is finding actual product out there. Shops are closed, print run numbers are down. There's a lot of places where just leaving your house is kind of risky. That's the beauty of our sponsors, Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Anything you want, they have it. If you want the newest, freshest um, reprints from Double Masters or you want the hottest new commanders from Jumpstart, they have them and you can get them to your house in just a couple days. Just go to EDH Rec, pick the card you want and follow the link to the shop of your choice. So if you need a Crypt Rats or Revel and Riches to play on stream and want it delivered straight to your house to beat Joey with, um, this supports that. It supports the show and it supports the site. I love that you are apparently always now going to use the sponsorship plugs to mention cards that we've played on our stream (laughs) that you've specifically used to ruin my day. I I didn't even catch that I had done that. So I'll I'll, I'll keep an eye on that in the future. Well, and if you want to see us playing with those new cards that we get from our awesome sponsors, you can tune in to twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast. We typically stream Wednesday evenings, playing games with some amazing guests, but we happen to just stream and and play some paper magic, which is kind of awesome to do in these times. So yeah, every Wednesday or so, tune in to twitch.tv slash EDH for some awesome paper commander games. 
Indeed. All right, now let's get to our main topic. We're talking about the commanders that people stopped building. Sort of looking for the, uh, I guess we would call it the flash in the pan commanders. They shone bright, but briefly, and they just sort of eventually faded off and people aren't building them as much, even though they had a really big surge of initial popularity. So that's specifically what we're looking for. Commanders that had swift initial spikes of popularity and then went from being built a lot to kind of not being built very much at all. And to sort of mention how we sort of measured that, we checked for a commander's popularity and found the commanders who had a peak of popularity followed by a valley of popularity. So we're only counting commanders that never recovered from that valley because, you know, some commanders do dip back and forth in popularity. We're only going to be discussing the commanders that had an initial surge and then fell down and never really quite picked back up. So some details here about this, we're only looking at commanders whose peak occurred in the first month and a half of release. Uh, if a commander's peak occurred several months after release, that implies sustained interest, so it's not a flash in the pan. Mm -hmm. uh, if a commander's valley occurred months and months after its peak, uh, that means it had sustained interest for a long while, so we wouldn't have counted that one either. Right. So definitely the stuff up front that we notice it rather than something that happens, you know, <laughs> months down the road for sure. And we're not going to talk about commanders that had a, a peak build rate of one deck per month either. <laughs> uh, if, if people weren't ever building this commander, it's probably not worth us spending the time on that because there's a lot of commanders in that category. Yeah, absolutely. We want to see the stuff that people were building, not the people that the, the commanders that no one ever built in the first place. So sorry, Sir Alan Lion's Claw, but no one ever <laughs> built you. So we're not going to be discussing you this no. episode. Um, and then another note that we should make before we get started is that some commanders are actually too recent for us to measure. Um, you know, stuff from Jumpstart, for example, uh, and even a little bit Ikoria is just too, we don't have as big of a timeline on that to really tell what's going on with peaks and valleys, uh, to really see what the interest is like and see if it is sustained. So we won't be talking about any of the stuff that is too recent, but we do have some theories about them possibly that we might discuss near the end of the show. But for now, let's just get to it. Let's start off with the first commander that we saw had a pretty big surge of popularity and then fell off. Matt, who was our first commander? So our first commander we're going to talk about is Zakama Primal Calamity. That is the six and Naya colored legendary elder dinosaur. It's the 9-9 with Vigilance, Reach, and Trample. Uh, Zakama, when Zakama enters the battlefield, you untap up to nine, or all lands that you control, excuse me, all lands you control, and it has activated abilities in Naya colors as well. Uh, it t turned out that, you know, it's kind of a stormy combo commander. Uh, it had a lot of excitement right when it first came out. Uh, two days after the set released, we were getting 65 decks a week for Zakama, which is a pretty good number uh, coming out of the gates. But then after a few weeks, you know, a little over a month, it dropped down to one new deck per week. That is a huge drop off. That is almost no new information coming in after those first few weeks. Right. And to clarify, you know, it hasn't stayed at just one deck per week for Zakama since then. Um, but that is when we saw that valley and it has really only been a trickle since then. It's never climbed up to back to that point where you said 65 decks per week at its height. And then it just fell down and interest kind of got lost. And Matt, you mentioned that there's kind of a storm situation going on with Zakama. I feel like maybe that's part of the reason why. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, I think it was a commander that that came out during a set with a bunch of dinosaurs and people saw that Gishath deck and thought they could do a similar thing with a different commander to maybe not replicate a deck that a friend had or someone in the shop had. And it just isn't a dinosaur commander. It, it, it is a storm commander or a combo commander, which I think we noted on that review show. Um, mm -hmm. 
And I, I think there are probably better ways to do that, or at the very least, people found they didn't really, that wasn't what they wanted to build from that deck at that time, and interest dropped off uh, pretty heavily. Right. And so to clarify the storm combo build there, the way that that works is actually pretty easy because Zakama untaps your lands. If you have something like a Mirari's Wake, which can multiply the amount of mana you're getting from your lands, you can cast Zakama, actually net gain mana on casting that, and then use a card like Team or Sabletooth to put it back into your hand, recast, gain mana, put it back into your hand, recast, gain mana. And that, I think, does kind of lead to maybe a linear strategy, which might be one of the reasons why it sort of fell off. That and it is competing with the other really popular uh, Gishath Sun's avatar, which went on to be like the 12th or 13th most popular commander of, of all of them. Um, so there's a couple of different hurdles there that might have stunted the popularity for Zakama a little bit. Well, and I think that's something we're going to discuss about several commanders going up throughout this list. Uh, commanders that you can solve, quote unquote, uh, hmm. something that, you know, th there's a way to figure it out and it just kind of combos in. Uh, that's something that I think we're going to repeat ourselves a little bit with. And typically those types of commanders aren't super popular in the more casual circles. Uh, you know, the, the competitive side of things, they're going to find the most efficient way to do this. And, you know, in Naya colors, maybe, but Sakama is not the most efficient combo commander. There's plenty of other ones out there. So I think that's another reason why people kind of faded on Zakama's popularity is because it did get solved, but it's not exactly the best. It's what it's doing. All right, let's move now to another commander here from the same set, actually. We noticed a dip in popularity for Kumena, Tyrant of Arazka. This is the Simic Merfolk Commander. It is three mana for a 2-4 Merfolk Shaman that lets you tap your Merfolk for different abilities, such as becoming unblockable or letting you draw cards or putting plus one counters on your Merfolk. This one, after two days of the set's release, Kumena was getting probably around, let's see, the average was about 59 decks per week, which is a really good rate. But after two Two months of that, it suddenly hit a valley of only two decks per week, and it never fully recovered. It is still pretty popular among the entire uh, meta of commanders, but the numbers have definitely stopped coming in. This this one definitely was surprising to me, probably the most surprising of the ones we looked at, um, mm -hmm. in large part because it feels like it's probably the best merfolk tribal commander you could be picking, or at the very least, it's really, really good. Um, and it's, it doesn't have any other weird strategies. I don't think it's particularly linear. I just, I'm surprised that we haven't had a steady influx of people building merfolk decks and, and choosing Kumena. Tribal decks are always fairly popular yeah. too. So the fact that Kumena does it so well and, and finally was the first merfolk, I believe, uh, that had legendary status and gave you access to green for merfolk. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's kind of why I'm agreeing with you on this one too. It you would have thought this had a little more staying power just because of the tribal aspect alone. Right. It climbed up really, really fast, but it has stagnated since that point. And I totally agree. I would have expected more staying power from this one. It is still certainly popular, but it is funny to see that there was an initial surge that really fell off and never quite got back up. So uh, that is just kind of strange. And I wonder if maybe there's some world in which Tuvasa the Sunlit was potentially competing for tribal merfolk space. Tuvasa doesn't necessarily say that it has anything to do with tribal merfolk, but I do know a lot of folks who were excited to build Bant as uh, the tribal merfolk instead of just Simic tribal merfolk so that they could ac get access to other cards like uh, Sig River Guide and things like that. Well, I also wonder if people who were really into merfolk didn't already have a merfolk deck and either converted their existing like Sig deck over into Kamana or something. It's not like this is a tribe where we didn't have support for for a lot of years. So people didn't build it like, say, pirates or something where, you know, you heard people talk about pirates, but there really wasn't anything that, that you could build with a pirate deck until until 
on. Well, we've always had things that supported merfolk, so I wonder if it was a situation where people have just had just already built their deck and they converted it to Kamena, or they just already had it and didn't need to build a new one either. I actually think that you've hit the nail right on the head there. This was an easy thing to convert, so we saw a huge amount of surge right up front, and then those conversions were done, so that's why it probably fell off a little bit for us. That, I think you've absolutely nailed it. Uh, Up next, we have Marisil the Pretender. Um, Marisil is a human wizard and has a really unique set of abilities. Uh, When Marisol enters a battlefield, you may exile an artifact or a creature card from your hand or graveyard and put a cage counter on it. And Marisol has all activated abilities of all cards you own in exile with cage counters on them. So within nine days, we had 82 decks being built per week. Uh, But after three months, it dropped down to one per week. So a lot of people hurried to brew this up to kind of find that optimal combo of things to cage up that would give you some kind of interaction to very often just win the game. Um, But once they've kind of figured out that puzzle and figured out what those combinations were, it feels like the deck just got solved and dropped off the interest radar for people. Yeah, this one, I don't think I've ever seen a Marisil deck in, in the wild and actually played against it. This was one that I think had a lot of people's brains spinning, but then they realized pretty quickly, like you said, this is depending on a, you know, a few random cards. You have the combo there, but people never really took it a step further or revisited this. Uh, maybe if there's some random card that comes out in the future, they might, but I also just don't think that's too likely to happen because it is, it is kind of narrow. Uh, it's hilarious because I remember the fervor around Mayor Sill being so excited because it does have the restriction of you can only use these abilities once per turn. And I myself was toying around with it. And I have two different friends who actually went through and built a Mayor Sill deck. And then once they figured out what the most streamlined version of getting to a combo point was in that deck, they don't have those decks anymore. They kind of took it apart because they had, quote unquote, solved that commander and found the most efficient line. So it wasn't as creatively inspiring anymore. Well, it's also a little bit annoying of a deck to play against. Um, you know, if, if you're there at the table and someone plays Marisol and they're like, okay, I'm going to cage this random uncommon from Odyssey. And you're like, okay, what card is that? And everyone at the table has to read it and then remember what it does because it's almost always something that no one plays anywhere else. And then two turns later, they cage some other random common from the dark that no one knew either. And you're trying to figure out, okay, what combo is going to come about from these two cards that I've never heard of you know, it, it just winds up being kind of annoying. And I would imagine even for the person playing it, having to like constantly explain what weird cards you have and what the interaction is. Here's the specific rules that yeah. it goes with Quicksilver, Elemental, and I have used the Aetherling ability, but only once this turn and <laughs> right. stuff like that. That I, I can totally see that. Sure. Yeah, I think like you said, Dana, people probably got annoyed playing with it just as much as playing against sure. it. Just because, yeah, it's there's a lot to keep track of. And I'm uh, by what I've heard and understand, it is kind of an involved type of combo deck. So I, I imagine people kind of lose interest in playing that deck pretty quickly. I'll also make this comment about a few future decks, but I think it applies here as well. These kind of decks tend to not get new pieces very often. You build the deck and you have everything together and you know what combos you're going to find, but you don't very frequently get a new set that comes out with a new card that you're like, that's perfect for Marisol and it'll work exactly what I want in that deck. Once you go a couple sets, I think, and don't get new cards or new toys, 
think that kind of makes the deck a little bit stagnant and maybe boring too. I wonder if that kind of thing has happened here where people just having not got new toys for it, didn't get excited about building it beyond once, you know, that initial surge of people put it together. Dana, you're kind of eating into some of the final notes that I wanted to have for this episode. (laughs) That's definitely something that I think affects the commander's popularity is whether it continues to get other pieces that can help uh, rev it up a little bit more or give it uh, a breath of fresh air. Um, Yeah, that's definitely something that Marisil is a little bit harder to find than a whole bunch of like, you know, we always get dragons in every set, for example. Uh, So, yeah, that I think also definitely kind of led to Marisil's slow decline into, um, you know, just isn't as popular anymore, which I, I really do think is a shame because Marisol is a very strange puzzle mm-hmm. of a commander and every time I look at it it does get the juices flowing um, just like ooh what can I do and then I find out what people have done and I'm just like can maybe I try something new like I don't know Mar- Marisol I'd like to see some new life for this one but it doesn't look like it was necessarily in the cards for this particular commander at that time all right who we got next well, yeah I was gonna say Joey so you said a commander that you know gets new toys every now and then uh, this next commander is one that I don't think ever had any toys to begin with. So this ah. one is going to be Mathis Fiendseeker. Uh, it's the Mardu legendary vampire uh, with menace, and then it plays around with bounty counters and whatever creature that has a bounty counter on it dies. Uh, each opponent draws a card and gains two life. So within the first few weeks, it did have a you know, decent amount of numbers. It had about 69 decks per week. Um, after that first month, though, uh, it crashed to absolutely zero. We, we barely see any new information coming through for Mathis. Um, it has never really recovered from that initial peak. Yeah, which is also kind of funny, Matt, because another commander that has a similar-ish trajectory is also from the same set that Mathis came in, the Commander 2017 Precon. This one's Lysia Sanguine Tribune, which also came from the Edgar Markov Vampire Tribal deck. She's the 8-mana 4-4 Vampire Soldier that costs 1 mana less for each life that you've gained this turn. First Strike Lifelink, and she can pay 5 life to give herself 3 plus 1 counters, but only once per turn. So she sort of hovers back and forth between paying life, gaining life, paying life, gaining life. Um, She took about nine days to reach her peak, which was an average of 53 decks a week. And that lasted a little bit longer than Mathis, about 42 days. And then she dropped down to just about one or two per week. And it's been a trickle of decks ever since. So both secondary vampire Mardu commanders from the Edgar Markov deck saw a surge and then fell off. What do we make of that? Uh, my guess here is like, like that Edgar deck was really, really popular at the time. Everyone was super excited to build it. And I, I just feel like the problem here may have been everyone got an Edgar deck and looked around and saw that everyone around them was playing Edgar. And maybe they, they then tried to build Mathis or tried to build um, Lycia, Lycia, however you pronounce it. Um, as an alternative to Edgar to still have the Mardu Vampires deck, but not have the same one as 14 other people in their vicinity, and then just realized Edgar was way, way better than either of these two options. Potentially. He is the fourth most popular commander overall. Of all, yeah. A huge accolade. Yeah, well, and Lysia Sanguine Tribune, or Lysia, 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 I think is right, yeah, yeah. She at least has some way of manipulating your life totals and turns, it can be an interesting life gain themed deck. And we talked a few weeks ago about, you know, how Mardu, one of the most popular themes from there is going to be life gain. And, and I think Lysia does that fairly well. But I think both of these were just absolutely overshadowed by just Edgar's massive popularity when, when Edgar first came out. And that's kind of a little bit what we saw with Zakama too. It was competing with Gishath, which was also in the same colors and also 
also uh, was a really big splashy dino. Um, so yeah, I think the fact of competition can definitely lead into why these commanders ended up falling off the map. Well, speaking of competition, um, we'll jump over to Nikia of the Old Ways. This was from the uh, Return to Return to Ravnica block. It's a 5-5 Centaur. You can't cast non-creature spells, and whenever you tap a land for mana, add one mana of any type that land could produce. So you're going to get some extra mana, but you can't cast non-creature spells. Uh, Nikia was um, pretty popular at first. We had 53 decks a week after the first two days, but at the end of the month, it was down to two decks again. Um, you know, it doesn't really do anything that's that different from what you see in Gruul. It's forcing you to to play a bunch of creature spells, but there's a bunch of decks in Gruul that just do that anyway. Like, like that's kind of what you do in Gruul. Um, and yeah, you you get your mana double, but there's a bunch of ways to do that in the color combinations as well. So I, I think it was a, a deck that interested people at first, and then once they played it, they realized I was already doing this in a different Gruul deck, or I could do the same thing in a different Gruul deck, and also have added advantages of something like Xenagos. Um, so, th so that's what I'm guessing happened there. Do you guys have any thoughts? All right, Dana, this is this is kind of be a, it will sound a little bit shady of me. I'm sorry, everyone. But honestly, the surprising thing about this one is that Nikia had such a big surge in the first place. <laughs> yes, no, um, I, I, I kind of agree. For precisely the reason that you mentioned, when I saw Nikia, I immediately compared uh, her to Rurik Thar, the Unbowed, because Rurik Thar also has very big gruel stompy uh, stuff going on and punishes playing non-creature spells in a way that I personally found a bit more compelling than Nikia. I do like the restriction on her um, a little bit because I do find those to be fun to build around, but I was still like, eh, I don't know that she'll really ever be able to compete with the other pre-established gruel commander that we've seen that has a similar-ish ability. So so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm surprised that she had an initial surge of popularity that fell down um, this hard in ways that a lot of other Gruul commanders didn't necessarily, in ways that a lot of other commanders from that very same set didn't necessarily. Al although there is actually one other commander from the same set as Nikia that we also saw a bit of a dip down for. Well, and that commander we're talking about is Prime Speaker Vanifar. That's the Simic commander that kind of has the, uh, the birthing pot type ability where you can sacrifice a creature and search your library, you know, find something that costs one more, put on the battlefield. Um, you can only do it as a sorcery, so it's basically Birthing Pod. Um, this one came out of the gates very fast. I think this was probably, to recent memory, probably one of the most hyped commanders as soon as we saw it. People started brewing right away, and we saw numbers to reflect that. You know, within two days, we were getting at least 33 decks per week, but that skyrocketed um, a high of 92 decks coming in per week after just a few days. Like, it, it jumped up really, really quick, but then it kind of dropped off a little bit. Um, it once people kind of figured it out, they solved how to play Prime Speaker Vanifar. They figured out, oh, it's a birthing pod in the command zone. It really took a hit after people kind of realized that. Yeah, I'm this one, I'll be perfectly honest. This is the commander that kind of inspired this particular show topic because I remember seeing Vanifar as a front runner from this set. And then it was just overtaken by other commanders such as Tesa Karlov, which proved to provide people with more directions to go, maybe. This feels very much like another commander that got quote-unquote solved. I have a bit of a theory here, and, and Tesa makes a good comparison. Um, Tesa's really strong as well. Um, equally strong, I would say, as Vanifar, if not perhaps more so, but definitely equally so. Um, but Tesa, I think, when you play a Tesa Karloff deck, you feel like the reason the deck is popping off and it's winning games is because of you. Um, even if that maybe isn't true, um, because it is a commander that rewards you for doing things you're probably already doing, 
it's still interactive. You're playing this thing. It's you're, you're killing it to a sacco. What you're you're you know replaying it somehow or getting double triggers. There's a lot of interaction on your part making those things happen. And I think that makes it feel like you as the pilot are the person who's determined the outcome of that game because of your brewing or skill set or, or whatever it is, you feel like you're in control. I feel like Vanifar removes that element from the deck because it's so absolutely linear and so, I don't know if uninteractive is a word, but like it's following that exact same kind of win path every time. I think it removes that element where the pilot can feel like what they did is why they won the game. And I, I think that is that that is unattractive to people a lot of times. And I think we're seeing that in the numbers that, that Kinnon Bonder Prodigy is seeing now. Uh, Kinnon sure. is the same type of commander where it's extremely powerful, but we're not really seeing numbers to reflect that. You, you would think that, oh, Kinnon, it's a combo happy commander you can play spells for free you get mana doubling but it's not really as popular as we kind of all predicted it would be um, i think that's because of the exact th things you are saying dana it's it's a very linear deck it plays out the exact same way whereas taste of Karlov, just having a taste of deck i win with several different win conditions every given game but that doesn't really happen with these two simic commanders that we're talking about especially prime speaker vanifar where it tutors up a very specific and very like you said linear tutor chain and then to untap you know prime speaker vanifar do it all over again it's not really that fun because it is so repetitive i think that's the the biggest downfall for it is it does the exact same thing every game and i think a lot of players are kind of turned off to having those same experiences versus somebody like tasa karlov that you can at least play different cards to win even though tasa karlov is just making them so much more powerful oh yeah like every time that you see a vanifar deck you know to expect like oh they're probably going to find that i think it's bounding crisis it's the simic three mana that untaps something and then that'll sacrifice and go into a breaching hippocamp and that'll untap the vanifar so that you can find another one that untaps to find the specific creature you need and that will cause a chain Whereas Taysa Karlov, when that commander first came out, we had an episode where we had brewed two different types of Taysa decks. Matt, in a surprising twist, you went more on the aristocrat side and I went more on I want my tokens to have vigilance and lifelink. Like there was diversity just in her text right there. We have obviously since switched and you play a lot more tokens nowadays mm -hmm. and I am the uh, most aristocratic person <laughs> that shall be on this podcast and I, I will stake that claim, I promise. Um, but yeah, like there was a lot more diversity even just up front, whereas the Vanifar, it, it, it's so beguiling i think because it looks like it can be a toolbox to find you whatever you need and that just isn't what we saw actually happen in the data and i think that is reflected not only in the you know high numbers for those combo lines that we see on her edh rec page but also on the fact that her numbers really did just eventually fall off and she got superseded by other commanders from that set in terms of popularity let's move on to the scorpion god uh, the scorpion god is one of the gods from the amonkhet block and it says whenever a creature with a minus one minus one counter on it dies draw a card. It has an activated ability for three mana that isn't a tap ability so you can use it multiple times a turn and you can put a minus one, minus one counter on another target creature. It also has a god ability so when it dies you return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. This was a slower burn after six weeks at a peak of 71 decks a week, but then after a month it dropped back down to none. So people basically just flat out stopped building it and it's been a real slow trickle ever since then. Oh yeah, it was it was literal zero decks for a couple of yeah. weeks there which was just 
whoa for a commander that I remember a lot of folks really talking about, especially its synergy with the card Colrath Knight, where you could put minus one counters on someone else's creatures, and then Colrath Knight is just like, and those creatures can't do anything anymore. And the then it just it stopped. It vanished. It went away. Well, it it, it it may not have been Vanifar, but it was Vanishfar. <laughs> I that's the, the that was so that forced. joke was that that joke was so bad it deserves that's... to be at the top of our show. That was amazing. <laughs> that probably, but I like we said it, the Scorpion God just dealing with minus one minus one counters. It's not something that gets visited a whole lot. It was you know years between having minus one minus one counters as a theme. So it's one of those cards that I think kind of it's one of the ones that. We don't really get a lot of new toys for it very often, so people stop building it because, well, why do I want to have this around? Because the deck's not going to change for years. So I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons that the Scorpion God kind of faded from popularity. It's still an interesting commander. I think it's probably one of the more interesting ones from that block. But yeah, when you're not getting new cards for it, it kind of discourages people from building those decks. Well, not only that, but it was also competing against green-black minus-one counters in the form of Hepatra, Vizier of Poisons, from that same block. And there's a lot more stuff that does something in green for minus-one counters than there ever was in Rakdos. Colrath Knight is a really cool Rakdos ability, but in green, you've also got stuff like, I think it's Flourishing Defenses, which is an enchantment from Shadowmoor that gives you tokens when you put minus-one counters places, and there's Obelisk Spider, which I think also gives you rewards for uh, minus-one counters, and those there was just so much more to do in green than there was uh, for a Rakdos minus one counters deck. Oh, and I think the way minus one counters have, they were mechanic from from past sets many years in the past that also kind of made that initial spike maybe even a bit of a, a bit of a higher spike as people like were like, oh, I can go back and run a bunch of these cards from, you know, the, the Lorwyn block that I haven't touched in 12 years. I think that maybe excited people initially as well and made them start to brew it. And then they realized, but that's all like, that's all there is basically, unless I'm, you know, doing some infect stuff, there's a real limited pool of cards. And I, I would bet a lot of those decks didn't even get past a development cycle once they realized how finite the deck in fact was with the cards you could put in it. And like Matt said, then they've got nothing since then. Mm -hmm. So there's actually a couple of other commanders from that same block that had similar uh, popularity trajectories. And the next one we're going to talk about is Unesh Cryo Sphinx Sovereign. This is the six mana four, four flying Sphinx. It uh, reduces the mana cost of sphinxes that you cast by two generic mana which is just absurdly absurdly good and it has the ability of whenever it or other sphinxes enter the battlefield under your control you do a mini fact or fiction so it's insane card advantage for a tribal commander unesh had a pretty similar uh, trajectory there also a slow burn here within six weeks it rose to a peak of 60 decks per week and then after a month it dropped down to one a week and it's now currently only got about 500 decks on the website uh, uh, rank like 240 something. So yeah, it really, really fell down there despite a really big initial surge because finally we had a Sphinx tribal commander and then it just dipped back down and has been down there ever since. Well, I think that's part of the problem. It, it's similar to Zakama where people maybe built it as a dinosaur deck initially. You said that mm. Unesh is a Sphinx tribal commander, but it kind of really isn't. It's kind of a combo deck. Yes, you're running Sphinxes, to dig down and find your combo for the most part. Like that's how people wound up building it. They wound up thinking they were playing a Sphinx deck and as they played it, realized it's really just a combo deck. And I think that probably turned some people off it as well. Not only is it kind of linear, it's one of those decks that you think is one thing and winds up not being that thing. 
Right. My buddy made an Unesh deck and the most savage card in the deck was like Possessed Portal, which stops everyone from drawing cards. But Unesh, he just had a couple of blinky things. So now he's the only one who gets to draw cards. Uh, Yeah, it was a very savage deck indeed that frequently led to a whole bunch of combo, get all the cards out of the deck. Um, And that's it it really didn't ever feel like a Sphinx tribal deck proper. Well, and and Sphinx tribal isn't really near as exciting as Dragon tribal, for example, or some of the other tribes that you will see. So whenever you do, you do get new Sphinxes every now and then, but at the same time, like Dana likes to joke about it, they're all eight mana and they don't do terribly a whole lot. Whereas, you know, you get dragons and you there's other ways to do things before turn six. Uh, Unesh doesn't really have that luxury of, of being a deck that you get to play around early game. So I think that's another reason why maybe people kind of fell out of favor with Unesh. But another one from the same block, actually, that also faded away fairly quick is Neheb the Eternal, which is the mono red Neheb. It's the one that has a flick three. And then at the beginning of your post combat main phase, you add red mana to your mana pool for each one life your opponents have lost this turn. Um, you know, about a month after the first you know, set came out, uh, we were seeing about 90 decks per week, which is, you know, a pretty significant number. But then after a couple months, it fell down to almost nothing. We didn't really see a whole lot for the original Neheb, uh, pretty much at all after that initial wave. I'm really surprised by this one because that's another commander who I remember all of the excitement that came around as a result of it, that there was just such a, this was capable of such crazy explosiveness that we know red is capable of, but it also I, I don't know. I just I this one also surprised me uh, to to see here, and I I have to assume that the combo is also the culprit in this particular instance, right? That yeah, that would make sense to me too, Joey. I mean, it's a strong commander. It kind of feels unique in red. I don't know nothing else really kind of does what it does. I would have thought it would have stayed popular, but it it hasn't. So I I tend to agree with that assessment that's probably the combo or or linear play perhaps there has to be an explanation because it definitely feels like something superficially that i would have thought would have maintained popularity Right. That combo that we're referencing, of course, being the aggravated assault combo, an enchantment that you can pay five mana to get an additional combat step. So Neheb can provide you with mana on a post-combat main phase. You can feed that into the aggravated assault to attack again. The opponents will lose life. You'll get more mana, pay that to attack again, and so on. I feel like that's got to be in some way connected to it, um, because this is a really exciting deck, not only to play, but to play against. Even for, like, I've noticed even the folks I know who are maybe less enthused by combos being a way to end the game um, in Commander. Even then, I've seen them be pretty overjoyed whenever a Neheb deck is able to pull off something like that because of just how crazy and huge the plays can be from this deck, the enormous amounts of mana that Neheb is able to uh, provide. It's just a a very unique effect that I'm sad to see has uh, dropped down a bit. I'm sad to see that that it just really did stop getting uh, built as often. That makes me me cry a little bit. It makes me a little bit sad. I I wonder if this, this is also a deck that hasn't got new toys perhaps as well. I don't know what new pieces this deck would have gotten, but I feel like this is one that definitely could have suffered from stagnation as well. It, well, it did get your least favorite card from Corset 21. Uh, Fire Emancipation is getting lots of play there. Um, <laughs> True. But I think it's also worth noting that we got two other Nehebs within a year of Neheb the Eternal coming out. So I think there were just enough people that saw three different versions of the same legend come out within about a mm-hmm. year or so. That probably distracted people a little bit too, just because not just other commanders within that color combination, but just other commanders within that character. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Speaking of the color combinations, I think that plays a whole lot into the last commander that we're going to talk about that people had an initial surge of popularity for, and then it died off because the final commander we want to talk about here is Estrid the Masked. Estrid the Masked is, of course, the Bant Enchantress, the Bant Enchantress commander, the face commander from uh, Commander 2018. Four mana, three starting loyalty. She can untap your enchanted permanence, give them masks that have totem armor to protect them, and she has a really cool ultimate to put the top seven cards of your library into your graveyard and then return all of your uh, auras and enchantments from the graveyard back to the battlefield. We saw some really interesting things happening for Estrid's numbers. She peaked around a week and a half after her release. She had about 59 decks per week, but after two months, she dropped down to just three a week. And that has been kind of interesting. She's actually right now the 68th most popular commander on the site, but she still definitely factors in as one of these commanders that people stopped playing because she has since been superseded by other Bant commanders. Importantly, Tuvasa, the secondary commander from the Estra deck, has more than 2,100 decks. So Tuvasa, the secondary commander, eclipsed Estrid's popularity, and Estrid, though climbing really high initially, just hasn't continued to like other commanders from her same deck. Uh, that deck that year was the one most focused on on the theme um, of Enchantress, too. The, not that their decks didn't have a theme, but they were much... The, the, the three commanders um, weren't nearly as... I don't know if interchangeable is the word, but like... We're, we're so, so dedicated to doing that one thing. The fact that Astrid was the face of the deck, I think, perhaps made people initially lean into assuming she was the best commander to play Enchantress. And I think Tuvasa is probably a better choice to do that. And I, I, I would get, guess a lot of people started out building that Estra deck and relatively quickly realized they just wanted to be playing Tuvasa, so they switched. And once that word kind of got out and people saw it being played that way, then they themselves who were building it after that initial surge, then just built Tuvasa as well. So I have to throw this out there because on our review all those ages and ages ago when we were talking about Estrid and Tuvasa, I threw it out there. This was back when we were betting about which commander we think would be the most popular from different precons and new sets for our reviews. I bet that Tuvasa would become the most popular from that set. And obviously I'm wrong about it, but she is more popular than Estrid now. So I see like, I feel marginally vindicated by that. Like just, just like just a skosh, but I did have some instinct at that point that Tuvasa would eventually eclipse Estrid, even though it was a secondary and not the face commander. I, I feel marginally better about it. Marginally. That's all we're going to allow. But <laughs> I, I also think it's worth noting uh, Estrid kind of lended herself to a lot of stacks and combo type builds, too. Uh, mm -hmm. Just the, some of the abilities, you know, you could put the Chain Veil combo in there and you can untap with Estrid and get more activations. It wasn't really the most fun because you're also in kind of those stasis colors too, so you can untap your lands and keep stasis locks going. And it's not really a very fun deck to play against. Uh, a lot of those high salt score type of cards that go into Esther the Masked, just because you're able to take advantage of them so much easier too. And I think that might be something discouraging people because you know, fun is definitely a factor in keeping things popular for a long time. Right. That's what's uh, like once you begin to optimize this commander, like a lot of the other ones that we've discussed, beginning to optimize it even a little bit leads almost by accident into combos. Because like you mentioned, the stasis, you can prevent other people from untapping, but your commander lets you break that parity. And that you like you, you want a commander that you can optimize without feeling like it drifts into a different strategy altogether. Like you want this to be enchantments, not just stacks, but optimizing it really 
really does lead you towards that direction that makes it feel altogether like it's a, a different thing than you intended it initially to be. And that's how I feel about Zakama as well. Um, that's how I think folks probably feel about Vanifar a little bit because it wanted to be, you know, a really cool birthing bot commander. I can get whatever I need. And then it turns out, oh, actually combo is the best way to go. And I, I do think that that kind of is the case for Estrid here too, where it becomes very staxy as well. And it drifts into a different thing than was once intended. Well, well, Joey, let's get off of the the stacks, the not fun topics to talk about. Let's get into something that we do enjoy talking about. So let's get into challenge stats now. Uh, give us something to kind of cleanse the palates from talking about Estrid stacks decks. You want to talk about the stats and not just the stacks? Is that what's going on? That's Matt? that is so bad. I should have said it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right. Yeah, let's move into this. This is an awesome segment where we look at the data on a track and see if hmm, do we agree with it? Are these cards seeing too much play? Are they seeing too little play? And I have a really fun one here and challenge the stats for you, Matt. I think you'll enjoy it. It's one that honestly, we're probably a little bit late to officially announce as a challenge. We should have mentioned this ages ago, back when Smothering Tithe was initially printed. My challenge is Kothafed Soul Hoarder, a six mana, six, six flying demon that says whenever a permanent owned by another player is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you draw card and you lose one life. So when you draw the card and you lose a life, which is not a may ability, by the way, you must do that when other people lose their permanence. If any opponent has a smothering tithe, when you draw that card, if you can't pay the two, they'll make a treasure, which then they can sacrifice for a mana for no reason. But you the Kothafed player must then draw a card, which will give them another treasure, and they can just continually sacrifice their treasures to drain your life completely. Kothafed still shows up in over 2,000 decks, and I just think that this is a completely dead card now that Smothering Tithe is so rampant in the format. If you play Kothafed, there is a very high likelihood that an opponent can just drop a Smothering Tithe and kill you with it, so don't play Kothafed anymore, people. Don't. Don't. It'll kill you. I mean, I don't know if it was that amazing of a card in yeah. the first place but um, this is <laughs> that's very much a, a a nail in the coffin in the form of feathering tide for sure well and, absolutely and, and i don't i don't think it's completely unplayable i yeah yes yeah, mothering tithe is all over the place but i i'm i'm more on dana's side with this it, we're talking about a card that wasn't terribly played it's it's corner case at best. So yeah, it's it, it had bigger numbers initially. So it has dipped down. It used to be at least twice this number. I remember checking ages and ages ago, uh, but it needs to dip down another hundred percent. I don't think that this can show up as long as smothering tithe remains a beast in the format. So even if it was corner case or if it wasn't uh, smothering tithe assures that this card will kill the person who casts it. Well, I, I can jump in with my next here, gentlemen, um, return to dust is in 31,000 decks, and it's a four-mana white spell that lets you exile up to two target artifacts or enchantments, provided you cast it on your main phase. Um, if you cast it at instant speed during another point in the game, you can only hit one target. Uh, it's a good spell, and I've ran it for a lot of years, but we have recently gotten Crush Contraband, which does something very, very similar, you can only hit an artifact and an enchantment. You can't double up if you need to. Um, but Crush Contraband always hits them. It doesn't matter whose turn it is, at what point in the game it is. At instant speed, you hit two targets. Um, it's only in 6,000 decks. And I think what's relevant here, Crush Contraband is slightly less versatile than Return to Dust. But Return to Dust is is less versatile than people think. Um, mm -hmm. 
if you want to take advantage of it, it's a sorcery. And if you are not taking advantage of it as a sorcery, that feels real, real bad spending four mana to hit one target, unless it's an absolute Blightsteel Colossus coming at your face type of emergency. Um, I, I just think at this point in time, Crush Contraband is is more versatile more often than Return to Dust. And I think those numbers should be inverted. Crush Contraband should be in way more decks than Return to Dust. I, I do agree. agree with you here. Yeah, they, they should be... I don't think they should be perfectly equal. I think Crush Contraband should definitely be in a lot more decks. I personally, though, I've come into situations where people don't have an enchantment in play. And so it sometimes sure. I, I pocket that for an extended amount of time. I think both of these pale in comparison to Dismantling Wave, which happened to be one of our preview cards for Commander 2020, um, because that always is going to hit at least one thing. You're not limited to a certain... Um, one card of each type and you get to hit one for each opponent so it scales really really well compared to the other two i still think that both return to dust and crush contraband are, are going to be second fiddle to dismantling wave but i do agree they should be a little closer in the amount of decks that they're in i, I think the important note is these are both exile and dismantling wave isn't and in some metas and some decks that's a big deal but dismantling wave is also really really good and probably should see more play i agree there yeah all right matt how about your challenge so my challenge this week uh, it's for a, sp a certain card there's there's a synergy that i happen to uh I got crushed with on Arena, so I just I think it should actually be in more Commander decks because it actually is a pretty good lasting synergy. So Fertilid is in over 11,000, almost 12,000 decks. And I know neither of you are, are very keen on it, but it is still being played in you know a, a fair amount of decks. So in Fertilid decks, it, it synergizes really, really well with the card Evolution Sage. So Evolution Sage reads, whenever a land enters the battlefield, you proliferate. So you know, you have Fertile it out, you activate its ability, you take a minus one, minus one counter off of it to get a land into play. Well, that land just triggers Evolution Sage, gets that counter back onto Fertilid, and then also gets a counter on whatever else you happen to have on the battlefield. It's a nice, nice synergy. You probably should be playing Evolution Sage more anyways because there are very, very few decks that don't have some sort of counter they want to get more of. But especially when you're in green, you have other types of counters. If you're playing any sort of infect, you can proliferate that way. And it's just an everlasting, you know, pay the, the Fertilid activated cost, take a counter off, and then you just put it back on with Evolution Sage. It's an amazing synergy. And fer or, or, excuse me, Evolution Sage is only showing up in 36% of Fertilid decks. I think they should go hand in hand. They should be 100 for 100. Here's another one that's probably going to blow your mind. I'm going to piggyback on your challenge here, Matt. Do it. Evolution Sage also only shows up in 36% of Lord Windgrace decks, which I don't I don't understand that at all. That should also be a one-to-one -one thing. It's landfall that gives you more loyalty counters on your commander. That's a beautiful synergy. Yeah. Uh, so even if I don't like Fertilid all that much, um, I do agree with you that that's a really cool synergy. If you do end up using it, you should definitely have the other. But also if you're playing Lord Windgrace, put this in your Windgrace deck. It is delicious. Yeah, it, it's the reason that I lost to a Darksteel Reactor deck on on arena and that Ooh. felt real bad all right so fellows we've discussed the commanders that people stopped playing but let's actually wrap up the show by quickly talking about some of the commanders that people never stopped playing when we looked at the data these were the commanders that never saw a statistically significant dip in popularity it was always really really constant they did have some weeks that were better than others but there was never a dramatic drop down let's talk about a couple of commanders that we see have always just had constant state power and people are ever eternally building them 
what are some of these commanders that people never stopped building? Well, the first one is one that it's never been the most popular in you know any given week or so, but it's always been consistent. It's kind of the model of if you need a good Simic commander, this is one to do it with. And that is going to be Tatiova Benthic Druid. It's the uh, three in Simic. You get a Merfolk Druid, and whenever you play a land, and whenever it enters the battlefield under your control as well, uh, you gain a life and draw a card. Turns out that just keeps people around because it's just so good. It's averaged since you know the, the two years that Dominaria came out, 47 decks per week, which isn't outstanding, but the fact that it's been so consistent for so long, that's really, really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I can't believe this thing's an uncommon. When I first saw that card, I absolutely... It's insane. I I totally flipped. All right, Dana, what other commanders do we got? Uh, We have Joyra Weatherlight Captain in 2100 decks. Uh, Rank is 36 here, and it's also been really consistent over the last two years, averaging 61 decks a week. Come rain, come shine, come wind or snow, people just build Joyra every week. Look, it's another commander from Dominaria that says whenever you X, you draw a card. And, and although it isn't like as blankly open-ended as Tatiova, where you're always playing lands so you can basically build any deck and have it be useful, there's a bunch of paths with Joyra too, you know, whether it's Super Friends or Artifacts. Um, there's, there's a lot of different things you can do with it as your commander to tweak your deck based on your play style and have it still generate value. It's very, very open-ended. Yeah. It's from a recent set, so it's a card that's probably pretty easy to find. Same with Tatiova. Um, it just makes for a deck that people have built a lot of, and I think they will probably continue to do so. Well, and it's, Absolutely. it's funny that, you know, like we said, Joyra, you do X and you draw a card. These two commanders are in the colors that would do those things the most efficiently, too. Like, Simic is very, very good about getting extra lands on the battlefield. And is it's very good about, you know, casting and, and recur, er, recurring all the artifacts, too. So it's just rewarding those color pairs of what they naturally do the best already. So our next commander that we can talk about that people just never, ever stopped building is a surprising one to see, I think. Yuriko the Tiger's Shadow. She, of course, is the ninja commander with Commander Ninjutsu. Whenever she or other ninjas hit players, you can get cards off the top of your library and you'll make your opponents lose life equal to the CMC of those cards. Yuriko has averaged a whopping 93 dex per week ever since she was released nearly about two years ago. I think we're approaching the uh, anniversary of Commander 2018. 93 decks a week and has never, ever dipped from that point. She's now the fifth most popular commander, uh, according to EDHREC. And I just, I, I don't understand. I would think that this particular tribe gets so few toys. Like, ninjas is a very specialized type that that would affect the popularity, but people really like what Yuriko can do. And... That's enough sometimes. She's really good. Well, we had guessed it on Brainstorm Brewery, uh, Jason Alt's other podcast, when he's not um, being content manager at EDH Rec, <laughs> um, when the set came out. And I had singled out Eureka as be, what I thought would be the, the one of the more popular commanders from the set. And the reasons I gave was ninjas are something that's crazy popular with casual players. And it's also a really, really powerful card. That's two very different quadrants you're hitting. 
um, but they're they're quadrants that make people want to build the deck. And I, and I would guess both of those are still factors. People still want to build ninjas and smash them together at the kitchen table, and people still want to play strong commanders. So even though there yeah. maybe aren't a lot of new toys for this particular deck, I think it's very interactive and it hits a bunch of different bases in terms of what people want from the deck they build. Yeah, and crucially, it's one of those commanders that when you begin to optimize it, it doesn't necessarily deviate towards a different strategy like some of the mm-hmm. other commanders we discussed sure. in the earlier part of the show. All right, Dana, who's next? What's another commander that people just never seem to stop building? They can't get enough. Kenrith, the Returned King, in over 2,700 decks. It's the 16th most popular commander, and it's maintained a solid average of 110 decks a week with no real significant peaks or valleys after closing it on 300 days. Yeah. Wow. It's a useful, like, whatever you want to do in five colors, unless it's dragon tribal or sliver tribal, this probably does it as your commander as well as anything else out there. You can make this work as your commander of anything you want to do and have it be really, really good. Dana, I have a rebuttal and that is the next commander and that is Golos (laughs) Tireless Pilgrim. Um, So Golos is another five color commander and it's just so open-ended. You know, whenever Golos yeah. enters the battlefield, search up a l- l- land card, put it on the battlefield. You can pay two and Wooburg, uh, and you exile the top three cards of your library. You can play them without paying their mana costs. Uh, it's an open-ended commander. E- everything that you said about Kenrith applies to Golos as well, except for the numbers. Uh, Golos is the, I believe it's the number three most built commander in the past two years, even though Golos has only been a card for a year. Uh, we've seen on average 131 decks per week which key i i can't remember the last time that i went to edh rec and looked at the top commanders over the past week or month and golos has not been there it's just exactly. such an open-ended generically powerful commander I, I don't see anything usurping this for a long time. And especially with these two commanders, they are, are really good on a budget as well. Kenrith can be totally busted even if you have a low budget, and he can be totally busted if you've got a high budget. And that definitely also goes for Golos. When you get free spells, it doesn't matter if they cost you $30 to get those free spells or you're just playing a 25-cent really big dragon. Like, it's free. It's going to be really, really good. So yeah. I think the popularity also definitely is helped by the appeal and the power that these can bring to uh, players, even when they are on a low budget. Uh, compared to some of the other commanders, other ones that we've discussed might involve really obscure sphinxes, for example, that are kind of maybe priced out of a lot of players' budgets, whereas that's just not the case. It is so easy to build a very strong deck in especially colors like this and especially like Kenrith. And that can really help with its popularity, too, to just be that powerful, regardless of how you want to take it and tune up the deck for a lot of years when people wanted to build this this strange five color deck whether it was five color super friends or some particular theme they latched onto that didn't have a commander they would just pick a five color commander that tended to generically do something useful whether it was progenitus hey if i got to turn 12 and i can cast it i might as well cast progenitus and have have it be some value a sliver queen saw a lot of play for a lot of years because it could just make you tokens um so things like that i think got played as kind of the wild card five color commander now since then we've gotten kenrith and golos two commanders that also can serve that wild card function way way better 
for the most part than Progenitus or Sliver Queen because they're so much cheaper to cast. The abilities are so much more generically useful. So I would bet a lot of people converted those old decks into these two. And now when a player looks to do the same thing moving forward, they're not going to look to the past and find some of those old five color commanders to just use as some generic value engine. They're just going to build Golos or they're just going to build Kenrith. Well, and one thing that I think makes Kenrith's numbers specifically so impressive is Golos was in a core set and it was a rare in packs. Kenrith was a buy a box promo, so it was significantly harder to get a hold of. And it also had a, quite a bit of demand for a long time from standard decks. So the fact that there are so many Kenrith decks out there with it being harder to find, that kind of blows me away that it's able to outpace a lot of these easier to get a hold of commanders People went out of their way to build Kenrith decks, and that's something that, especially when you compare it directly to Golos, that's something that we should take note of. Absolutely. And I also kind of want to, while we're wrapping up talking about all of the commanders, the ones that people have stopped playing, um, I also kind of want to ask you guys, like we mentioned, we saw those commanders that people had uh, stopped playing, but we only were able to measure based off of, you know, having enough data for them and actually being able to draw a good timeline. So we couldn't talk about, um, we couldn't see any data for any of the most recent sets like Jumpstart or uh, even really like Ikoria. And I kind of want to pick your guys' brains a little bit before we go to see if there are any commanders from recent sets that you think might also fall into these same categories. Commanders that eventually, like maybe they're having a surge right now, but we'll see in time that they do fall off. Are there any commanders that jump out to you that you think might fall victim to those same patterns where the deck can be quote unquote solved or something like that and its popularity will diminish and never really pick, uh, pick back up? Uh, I think Kin and Bonder Prodigy, like we kind of hinted at earlier, it, it it had that initial rush, but I don't think it's going to recover because it plays like every other Simic combo happy commander. Um, I'm really interested. I know personally seeing dogs and cats on a commander is, is really exciting, but Rin and Sari, um, if that excitement carries over, um, I know that cats have been a fairly popular ever since they were in a pre-con, but adding dogs and, and putting them into Naya Colors I wonder if that excitement's going to stay hyped because right now it's the most popular commander from Corset 21, but I also don't know if there's a lot of competition in Corset 21 when it comes to commanders. I, it, it, Rin and Sari, it's, it, they're the goodest. They're, they're the they goodest. They are the goodest. So I, I, I hope that their numbers maintain because that's, that's an ever charming commander for sure. I, I feel like the mutate commanders might fall victim to this to a degree the same way the minus one, minus one counter style commanders or, or Marisil did to a degree for complexity. Um, so there, there's two factors that I, that I think don't help mutate decks. Yes, they still can get new toys to a degree. You know, this thing with flying and death touch that makes a good mutate target, we just got a slightly better version of that. So I'm going to upgrade that. I think there's a few more upgrades in those decks than maybe we had with minus one, minus one counters. Uh, but I don't know if it's enough to keep that deck fresh or it's at least not enough to make somebody say, this is the thing that's going to make me finally go build a mutate deck that I wasn't building, you know, two months ago, for example. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see some of those commanders fall off in this way as well. 
I actually totally agree on the mutate front, particularly when it comes to Nethroi, Apex of Death, who is at the current time of recording the most popular commander from Ikoria layer of behemoths. But the Nethroi decks that I've seen, they treat Nethroi much more like a spell than as a creature. And basically the first time that you cast Nethroi, you win the game with all of the stuff that you're able to bring back from the graveyard. And I wonder if that might not fall into a little bit of the um, the same style of play patterns from game to game that maybe will cause interest to win a little bit. Um, the one I really want to address, though, uh, you know, I'm I'm conceptualizing. I'm not sure about Nethroi, but the one that I feel is definitely going to fall victim to this is Tiny Bones. Tiny Bones Trinket Thief is that really cool jumpstart commander that focuses on discard and can let you draw cards when your opponents discard and can punish your opponents by chunking their life total for 10 damage if they don't have cards in hand, which is a really enchanting character. There's a lot of appeal there, but i have just looking at the the numbers for other discard commanders on the site doesn't make me confident in Tiny Bones longevity. We didn't really have any commanders we talked about where we said the reason they maybe fell off popularity was because um, people didn't want to play against it or like they saw the person playing the commander just get focused and knocked out. Um, that's a thing that happens, I think, but I don't think any of the ones we talked about really really fell in that category. I think Tiny Bones very easily can. I think you're going to see some people that are excited to build it. They're going to realize after a couple of games when their play group realizes I'm going to spend enough time just hellbent because of Tiny Bones. Then the play group will focus Tiny Bones because you don't want to do that. And it makes it unfun for the person doing it as well. So I absolutely think Tiny Bones is going to be a card that if we look back in in 10 months of this list, we'll see the, the peak and then the severe valley for sure. Well, Jumpstart to me, and I'm not sure about you guys, is really interesting to look at the early numbers. Just one, the, everything going on in the world right now. Um, but also, yes, Tiny Bones is jumping out there, but there's a lot of more casual-centered commanders that I thought would get, were going to be more popular. Um, we all kind of thought Emil the Blessed, the unicorn tribal commander, would be one of the more popular ones, but currently it's sixth. Um, yes, the cards are probably a little hard to get a hold of right now, and, and I know Emil is kind of price prohibitive because the set has barely been out. But seeing that so low when, you know, Ineaz is number two and then Naeth of the Dire Hunt is number three, it's interesting to see. And I wonder how many of these trends are going to hold up because a lot of what we kind of predicted would happen with Jumpstart isn't really happening beyond the Tiny Bones. And I do agree with, with Dana. Tiny Bones probably is going to drop off. The Command Zone folks, they did a really good analysis on, on Tiny Bones and they said kind of the exact same thing you did, Dana. It's going to be really unfun and your friends are going to tell you to take it apart because... Otherwise, they're going to take you apart. Um, wow. <laughs> one sounds painful and one sounds like you're just getting to build a new deck, which is actually kind of fun. Wow. Uh, and then another one that I think that we absolutely have to address here or else our content manager, Jason Alt, will fire me from the podcast. Um, he's made a, uh, a big observation about Zyrus the Writhing Storm as well. In his own words, Zyrus the Writhing Storm, which is the uh, wheel commander in Teamer, creates snakes when your opponents draw cards that they're not supposed to draw. So you get a whole lot of snakes. Um, if you just cast a single windfall, you get like 21 snakes with one spell. It's absolutely ridiculous. And he said that he put together a list for this commander. And before the card even arrived at his home, he was already bored of the deck. 
<laughs> and this is actually something that I noticed uh, two of my buddies have uh, been fixing to build Brawlin and Shabraz, the Jeskai wheel commanders, and they actually kind of said the same thing, that before they'd even really had the chance to get a hold of cards, they were already kind of bored with the idea. And I wonder if, like, that's another big ingredient, too. Like, wheels is a really well-established archetype within commanders that, that that's already been really explored, and I, I feel like that's got to factor in at some point, too. Do you guys think that you agree with that, that this might be a commander that falls off, or do you think that there's actually plenty of room in that category? for it to continue to flourish. Do we agree with Jason Alt? Is he going to fire me from the show? What do you think? <laughs> uh, I think he may fire you, but I also agree. Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I think wheels are solved. I think we've seen it done a bunch of times. I think neither of those commanders necessarily brings... I mean, like, on the surface, they read like they are a new twist on wheels, but they're not really. It's the same thing we're getting from the Locust God or, or you're getting from 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 Nikusar, as, as the kids say. Um... <laughs> So, you know, I, I think the archetype is solved or at the very least repetitive enough and, and done to death that I, I would imagine that will happen with these as well, for sure. Yeah, just there's so much competition in that space, whereas, um, you know, you talk about the Sultai Expel Hydra legend from the, the same pre-con set, there's a little less room and a little less competition, I guess, uh, in that color combination where wheels there are so many different commanders that you're fighting over you know wheel type decks um i think there's a fair amount of people that kind of switched because they realized you could wheel with perforos out and dome the table for a lot um when it comes to zyrus decks but i think that's going to be kind of repetitive like we like both of you guys have said it's the commanders that do something just unique enough that have that staying power or it's open-ended enough that it's you're not really shoehorned into any one specific thing like you are with zyrus you're, you're kind of shoehorned into playing wheels whereas golos you can kind of do whatever you want so it's it's an open-ended mm -hmm. commander for dang near any commander or commander gameplay that you want all right, then I have one final question because we've discussed this entire show kind of almost, I would say, at arm's length. We're observing from a distance the commanders that other folks built really quickly and then stopped building and their popularity really truly dipped down. But I also want to ask you guys, are there commanders that you had that same experience with, that you rushed to build it, you put together a list, and maybe you even played a couple of games with it, but then after a while you just took it apart and you weren't as excited by it anymore? Um, just speaking on a personal level, are there commanders that you've had this experience with as well? And what were the reasons behind you maybe feeling less excited about it or taking those decks apart. Edgar Markov for me definitely would qualify. Um, we mentioned this earlier, but it was a super and still is a super popular commander. So for one, that made it less interesting when there was a bunch of them in the shop already. You're uh, such a hipster, Dave. Well, I am, but like this wasn't just like one other person playing it. This was like there's nine other Edgar decks being played simultaneously right now. So that definitely made it way less interesting. Um, also, the kind of optimal way to play Edgar wound up being to run vampires that weren't particularly interesting. You just want to run a bunch of like cheap, efficient one drops versus running a bunch of the cool vampires that exist. Not that you can't do that. Um, but it, it always feels weird, I think, to me playing a bad version of a deck when I can clearly see the really good version of the deck. And the really good version of the deck is playing bad one drops, basically. So that also made it not a lot of fun for me. It kind of sapped the cool factor out of Vampire Tribal when you're just playing cards that are kind of terrible. All right, Matt, what about you? I think the closest that I've ever come to the CEDH level decks, I had a, a Timna and Thrasios deck and it just it played the exact same way every time it was 
okay, I'm going to Academy Rector into Aluren, into my Aluren combo. And like, that's fun because that's what I was playing in Legacy. But in Legacy, that's kind of what the experience that I was looking for. It, it was exactly that. It was, you know, finding a way to outsmart the other person. Whereas I play Commander to have different experiences. I want to do things that I can't do in other formats. So when I realized like, okay, I'm just demonic tutoring and, and so-and-so tutoring, I, I lost a lot of interest in it really quick. And, and I found that was kind of the furthest from Commander because like I said, everything was always the same. Um, that gameplay just isn't for me um, because like I've said on the podcast, uh, I build like a Timmy, but I play like a Spike. Like when I'm b- building those decks, I want to do the big Rishkar's expertise type things that I, I just get to, you know, laugh at myself because of how ridiculous this thing is. Um, but then when, you know, we get in the games, then I'll focus down a little bit more and I'll, I'll pay attention. But it, the fact that, that that deck, it was the exact same thing every time, it just, it wasn't particularly interesting to me um, because, you know, with the, the multiplayer aspect, it just lends itself so much more to how can I make sure that everyone's having fun instead of just me sitting down and doing the exact same thing every time. Yeah, that's definitely one for me that occurred. Uh, both Yidris Maelstrom Wielder and uh, Kirik Son of Yagmoth are definitely decks that I had for a while that I was very, very, very invested in. I spent an embarrassing amount of money putting those decks together <laughs> and after playing them just for a little bit, I, I was just like, oh, I actually don't enjoy this as much as I thought because they kind of became uh, different decks than I necessarily wanted. No matter what I did with Yidris, I was actually trying to make it a Yidris Voltron build, and it still was just like, eh, Storm is going to be your friend here, actually. And then I went to Kirik, and I'm like, this is fascinating. I can play fast and loose with my life total. And it was like, hey, Storm is going to be your best friend here. And I was like, dang it, I actually don't necessarily want that. And thankfully, I found other uh, commanders that really filled the gaps that those commanders uh, left behind, I think, which is really, really cool. But it was interesting to see there because it was definitely a calculation of how much uh, fun is everyone else at the table having, too, which I think is a really important thing to to keep in mind to make sure that the commanders that we build are all having a, a resonant experience with everyone. Um, so those were definitely, on, on a personal level for me, those were certainly two of them. But then there's also people like Dana who just have to be complete hipsters about every commander that they build. And that's the reason that they stop building stuff. It's what makes me so handsome. I mean, it. <laughs> I, I, I can say it's a good thing that when we do stream on twitch.tv slash edhretcast, <laughs> um, it's a good thing that we use spell table whenever we play against Dana. That way, when he plays this card that like, he probably found in a sarcophagus, you know, in ancient <laughs> Egypt. Um, we're able to at least to identify those cards that he's playing with. It's, it's true. Awesome plug on the uh, on, on <laughs> Twitch.tv slash EDHREC. Well, well done, Matt. And actually, I think that that's probably a good reminder for us to uh, to finally wrap up shop here and close the show out. So let's call it to a close. And fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find us? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And apparently we're also on twitch.tv slash EDHRETCAST Wednesday evening streaming games. Uh, we have amazing guests every week, so make sure you tune in and don't miss a single week. And you can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can read my articles on EDHREC a couple times a month, and you can listen to me once or twice a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the 
the cast at EDHRecCast on both Facebook and on Twitter. If you have a question, a keen insight to EDHREX data, or maybe a challenge to stats pick that you think that everyone should know about, you can hit us up at EDHRECCast at gmail.com. Our thanks again to Josh Lequai and the entire team at the Command Zone for handling all of the post-production work on the podcast. And of course, we have to give a huge thank you to our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show. Listeners, we would really love to hear from you on this topic. Which commanders were you initially really excited to build, but then maybe that excitement fell off or you noticed that you took those decks apart? Which commanders are those and what are the reasons for that? We would love to hear from you. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>